Kia ora and welcome to Cinema in Context, where we discuss all things film and the connections between. My name is Jeremy Downing. I'm Sarah Watt. And I'm William Chen. And each month at Cinema in Context, we discuss two films, one current and one retrospective, with some connection. It could be the same director, the same actor, or a similar theme. This month, we are discussing In the Heights, which, due to some COVID delays, came out this year, and Fiddler on the Roof, which came out in 1971. The connection being that they are both musicals dealing with change and holding on to your culture in the midst of that change. I mean, we talked a lot about how we would connect these two movies, but I think that's probably the cleanest and fairest way. Hmm. Yeah. Fiddler on the Roof. Sarah, give us a bit of an overview of this 1971 film. Wow, what a classic Fiddler on the Roof. It's a film directed by Norman Jewison, and it stars the inimitable uh, Topol. Now, Topol um, plays father of uh, a family. He has a wife and five daughters, and they are living in relative poverty in a small village called Anatevka in pre-revolutionary Russia. It's a story about tradition and culture. And, um, and as you said, Jeremy, um, the times, they are a-changing as the Russian authorities began to encroach on the, the village of Anatevka and force a change in the most um, violent and difficult and ultimately sad of ways. But musically, my gosh, what a film. We are in for a treat today. And something of a cultural phenomenon as well. It was, it was big of its time and it sort of sustained through musical theatre enthusiasm over the last wee while. Hmm. Which brings us to In the Heights, which is a Lin-Manuel Miranda musical. It's his first musical. It came out in the mid-2000s and won Best Tony, uh, the, the Best Tony Musical Award. And uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda has sort of, sort of since gone on to have a very successful career, mostly known for Hamilton. But this is his first show, and it details Usnavi, the main character who lives in Washington Heights, and the different people in his life, in his community. Gentrification is a big part of their their struggles, as is finding home in a place far away from Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, uh, Chile, and a, and a number of different South American and Caribbean islands. Uh, it deals with themes of uh, feeling otherized in, in places like university. It deals with themes of trying to make buy with a business when um, other families are moving into the area with more money. Uh, and it's ultimately about finding finding home, finding home mm-hmm. in, in a place that maybe doesn't always feel like home. And that is In the Heights. <laughs> William, start us off. Where are we jumping in? Sure. Well, well, the first thing to talk about, I think, really, is how much connective tissue is between these two musicals and these two film adaptations. I think we didn't really think about the ramifications of picking Fiddler compared to In the Heights mm. when we talked about this a couple of months ago. But my goodness, there's a lot of meat on this bone. Yeah, there really is. Yeah. With, with In the Heights and with Fiddler, I mean, both, both musicals are, I mean, they are American produced and American written, but deal with such culturally specific narratives, which bring in almost marginalized storytelling and these communities that you don't usually see, especially either, either on or off Broadway, into the greater consciousness. Uh, one came out in 1964, the other one came out in 2005, and yet I think they both have that same kind of power of telling these smaller stories in a way that has cross-cultural ramifications. Absolutely. I was um, bowled over. I, I watched uh, In the Heights before returning to Fiddler. Now, Fiddler is a, a show that I know very well, as I've 
rambled on to you fellas. Uh, I, I was in the chorus of my high school musical version of this back in the mid 80s when I lived in Singapore and we had an incredible international cast. Um, so talk about colorblind casting, which I think we'll get onto as a little, maybe, my goodness, you can imagine at UWC, international students, uh, you know, it's gonna be an international cast. And I will just say at this point, that in the um, dancing crew of Cossacks, in uh, my high school production of Fiddler on the Roof was a, a young man called Kevin Stay who went on to become uh, one of Madonna's backing dancers wow. in her Blonde Ambition tour. Wow, is he in the, um, is it called Strike a Pose? Pose? Yes, I, th wow. I believe he is. Oh, so goodness. Kevin Stay, who was an amazing dancer back in high school, um, then went on to be super famous. But anyway, Fiddler, oh my goodness. So re-watching it this time, I was really struck by the similarities in terms of so we're talking vaguely, aren't we, about immigrant stories. In the, in the Heights, of course, the, the immigrants have come to New York or come to America, land of plenty. And in Fiddler, they are indigenously uh, of Russia or the wider Russia, Russian, what would it have been, the Federation or whatever it was back in those mm -hmm. days, right? And then they are displaced and made to move on. But it's a Jewish story. Yes. And that's the point. And yes, both films for me were really beautiful and warming and enlightening in terms of teaching me about cultures that I know a little bit about, but not really. They were both very similar in terms of showing the traditions of eating, the traditions of um, the various rituals of either being together, whether it's in the Russian bar or it's in the nail salon in, in the Heights, uh, and really teaching you about different cultures um, being in a place where they're not necessarily wanted or accepted or whatever. It's worth saying at this point, and we always have this this warning, we will be spoilering both films. And there are some really great surprises in both movies that you would not want to have spoiled. So I think if you haven't seen either In the Heights or Fiddle on the Roof, pause this episode and come back. Um, but yeah, I agree. I agree with both of what you're saying. I think uh, Fiddler on the Roof has a real warmth about it. I came to Fiddler on the Roof really recently. I went and saw an amateur production that my friends were in, uh, in, in here in Auckland, and I saw the heart of this really great show, and I immediately, the next day, I think I, you know, we finished on Saturday night, I went to sleep. Sunday morning I had the day off, and it was cold and raining, and I put on the, the 1971 film. It's three hours long. It's mm. not a quick watch. No. Uh, but I went into a sort of, yeah, warmth, blankety, Sunday rainy afternoon trance, I guess, and mm. just love, love, love this film. I think the opening with, um, what's the main character's name? Tevia. Tevia, Tevia. the Milkman. Tevia the Milkman, who I understand was ex very young when he made this movie. Mm. Yeah. Topo, yeah. Made, Topo. Up, made up to look older, and he's played this role throughout his life. I went yeah. to see Topo as Tevia in 2007 when At he came to Auckland. Yeah. Oh, wow. It was amazing, and he, he still has it. I think he was acting... He's, re he's since retired now, I think, but he had acted the role for, for decades upon decades. Apparently, he has played the role 3,000 over 3,500 times oh, my goodness. Um, on stage in various iterations. Ooh. And so just to very quickly fill in on this, because mm -hmm. we were doing a bit of reading about it at home, that the original Tevya um, was, was another yeah. actor. Uh, Zero Mostel. That's right. Yes, he, from the producers. That's exactly yeah. right. And who didn't uh, make it into the film. And what happened was Tevya, sorry, Tevya Topol. <laughs> Topol, the actor who is Israeli, 
um, ha- was performing the role on, in, in theatre somewhere, and then he went back to Israel to fight in the Six-Day War. Wow. Uh, and then he came back to the stage, and it was then that, I think, Norman Jewison, the director, saw him on the stage, either in London or on Broadway, oh. and said, oh, I'll have him to play Tevye in the film. Because I know Zero Mostel was very, very upset that he was not cast in wow. the movie. Wow. And now, of course, Topol is synonymous with, with Fiddler on the Roof and with Tevia. And I yeah. guess if you're going to play the role three and a half thousand times, A, you better love it. <laughs> and, uh, and B, yeah, why not make it your signature thing? Yeah. I, one of the things that impressed me about the story and the film is that because it's so culturally rooted and tradition is such a key part of the story mm. and what you're able to compromise on in order to survive... The, the, some of those traditions, which we look now, and even in the 70s was like, or 60s, mm. they were kind of going through a time of particularly women's rights coming yeah. forward. And, and so, you know, this, the, the matchmaker and the way that the men are the heat of the house. And it's, it's it really, it really uh, what's the word? It stands the test of time, yes. I think. Yeah. It's got a real strength about it. And the fact that they're, they're fiercely religious and they have these tra- traditions and yet everybody sort of got these sly winks to the camera and the ways that... They, you know, they the, the woman kind of have this place, but they equally are subverting it. And uh, and and Tevia, he's he's got this faith, but he sort of plays with it. And yes. it's yeah. there's a real current currentness to it that, yeah, timelessness maybe. I think it, a lot of that can be attributed mainly to the film version as well, because I think I've seen a couple of stage versions of filler where. It does feel kind of pat and a little old-fashioned. Old-fashioned, mm. yeah, uh, anachronistic, but also really of its time. Whereas I think the film version really takes a very almost naturalistic bent mm. and shows you what kind of person it takes to actually survive in such an environment as Anatevka. Mm. Like in the opening number tradition, when they mention the the daughters or the you know the mamas. And they're not doing traditionally feminine things, right? Or maybe they're cooking, but you see them rolling hay and doing hard farm labor. Mm. And it's like, this, this feels real. And these feel more like real people than actors or singers. Mm. I agree. And I, I guess to jump into In the Heights, one of the things that struck me almost immediately in that opening number were, were the shots of the community and people getting up. I was quite, I was struck with emotion through most of this movie, but seeing again a, a community that felt very real it, it felt like and I, to allude to what you're saying earlier william it felt like there was there were things being shown that hadn't been shown before yeah and there was a it was a celebration of community and the realities of life like it wasn't this i mean it was a it was a kind of romanticized version but it wasn't without losing that reality and the kind of hard work and the the just people going about their business particularly you're right in that that eight minute opening of of in the heights which i have to say when we started watching fiddler and it's so slow dun, 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 and i went well here's a point of difference between those two films in the heights da, 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 you know um and yet yeah it's it's very striking when everybody's getting ready for work and then they're all coming down the stairs in their tenement buildings and out into the streets and it's all goey and absolutely it's very it's realistic um but beautiful um but yes establishing so much here's here's how we make the coffee you don't have the milk don't worry about it use the the not the clotted cream what condensed is it? milk use the condensed milk hey great you know boom 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 and off we go so yeah, yeah. It's interesting you say about the slowness of Fiddler because it is, but it, it really it really earns the boom boom boom, yes. boom boom quick cuts to all those 
the imagery, the religious imagery. It's amazing. So amazing. thrilling. And for three hours, I thought, oh my gosh, you know, look, I know this and I love this, but oh my goodness, can we do? And oh yes, you can. And even it's though, totally you know, engaging. You, you watch it with the knowledge of what comes in act two yes. and the tragedy and the sadness. And yet it's so buoyed by the performances and by the, the momentum, even the real sad bits Absolutely. have like this tinge of, of hope and joy. Um, when, when Hoddle was standing beside the train, the, you know, far from the home I love, it's that's my favorite. That is, that's my favorite moment Are of the you show. Serious? Yeah. Wow. And it wasn't when I saw it on live. I, I saw it on the stage. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw it at Monaco Performing Arts, which right. is I realized as we were talking is I did it in the Heights at Monaco Performing Whoa. Arts. So my introdu- introduction to both of these musicals mm. was through that that theater. But that moment, I think it's it's. You know, there's this expectation that the girls are going to marry whoever the matchmaker says or whoever their father says. Mm. And it's it's Topol's journey of... No, Tevia's journey. <laughs> Tevia's journey of really loving his daughters and, and loving them in an active way where yep. they're able to, to make their own path. And that moment is a, is a chance where she really gets to communicate something quite abstract, which is, I'm really going to miss my home, but, yep. I, but I've got a new home. And seeing his reaction to that and his revelation of that it's a really complicated yeah. Yeah. concept human concept uh, and it's a beautiful piece of music and it's tragic and it's 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 uplifting and it's all of these things <laughs> together so yeah for me that's the I found the, that scene very hard very sad mm. and very hard to watch but it isn't my favourite song we'll get on to my favourite song I, I'll I, even I, do a bit for you no <laughs> I think that the thing about that of course is it's also juxtaposed with his farewell with Carver oh which is which is even worse and it's it's like where does he draw the line right yeah um, with his daughters even though as you say Jimmy he's showing active love to his daughters there is a point in his life when when it comes to what he, he holds most dear, in this case, his religious fervor, that he cannot sacrifice one over the other. And mm. it, it kind of it weighs upon him so so hard that even when he's saying goodbye at the very end of the show, it's in a very, very, you know, almost downbeat kind of way. Mm. I want to make two points about the, um, the romantic relationships. One, I'm so grateful to the writers of Fiddler on the Roof that they didn't just prolong angry dad, girls having to run around behind his back. I agree. Which is a trope that we see time and again. And then there's always some sort of rapprochement, uh, yawn. Well, I'm really glad that they didn't do that because also it makes Tevya... Uh, a deeply, deeply likable, sympathetic, wonderful per- character. And I, and I know you're trying to make a point, but I just have to say, I think those two elements is what contributes to both the reality that you're talking about, William, and the reason why I love it, it's that timelessness. It still mm. survives because it makes both of them real people. Yes, yeah. rather than caricatures or stereotypes, exactly. And the other, the other thing that I really like or really enjoy is when you think about it with the three daughters, Zytel goes against him with Mottel, but at least Mottel is part of the community. They ask his permission first. He and they they the know blessing. who he is. They, they've right. known him since childhood. Yeah. And then the next one, the stakes are a little bit higher because actually Perchik is from out of town and he's got a big mouth on him and he's got brash ideas and they don't even need to ask his permission and it's that little bit harder. And then Hava, bless her, goes off with a bloody Russian. Mm-hmm. And so that's like the, the, the sort of the worst or the hardest thing for him to overcome. I think that's really interesting writing i really like it and i like it more than um other other films like west side story even like in the heights it's a little bit different but you know where it's just like i don't want you with that guy so 
Uh, and obviously we'll get into the comparison with the romances in, um, uh, in the Heights. But uh, yeah, I like well, that about let's, Fiddler. Let's talk about that because one of the things that there's many changes that they've made to, from In the Heights uh, in the film from the stage musical. That's interesting. And I guess to segue into the father-daughter relationship in In the Heights, which yes. is the kind of core of of that story, I would say, at least in the show. And they've, they've kind of brought Navi more into the central limelight in the film. Interesting. But um, she, in, in the show... Um, and we're talking about the daughter who goes to Stanford, yeah, goes to Nina, law school. Yeah, Nina, and her father... Um, Runs the taxi company. Yeah, I can't remember his name right Kevin now. Kevin Rosario. Kevin Rosario. That's right. Um, so Kevin, he, uh, in the show, doesn't want her to date Benny because he's not Latino. Mm. And so that's the that's the central tension, and there's a mother character as well who kind of gets over it, and just you know she eventually says, Do, "Choose what you like, as long as you come home. Like right. stop fighting you two. Right. But they they've sort of shifted the story because she doesn't have a mother anymore. She's no, she doesn't have a mother, and her central tension is not um, as well in the show. It's she not- leaves university because she's having to work multiple jobs to survive. Right. Whereas in this one, it's very much. In the film, it's very much, I've been otherized. I, I don't feel like I've got a place mm. there. Why would I leave my community and go to this other community that I don't feel at home in? Mm. Um, and that becomes the tension between the father and daughter relationship. And that feels like a message that's much more understood in 2021 or mm. 2020 than 2005. I think that's fair. I mean, the, the race relations, is it's mm. not as relevant as that otherizing story yeah. and also the undocumented story ah yes which they've added into the film with sunny very mm. very odd I'm, I'm i would say i'm not a fan of that stuff um which stuff uh the daca um where sunny and, and nina go to the the rally and and everything i felt incredibly out of place the the whole structure of the movie kind of stops for a second and there's some dialogue which feels really really odd and unnatural uh, it didn't surprise me one bit when, Jeremy, you told me that all that stuff was new. Yeah, I actually didn't fully understand what was happening because I didn't know the full context of what's been going on in those communities. So in some way, it was a little bit of a hindrance to me connecting. But in other ways, I'm now aware of this situation that I wasn't aware so, of before. So, Jeremy, is Sonny's arc basically, basically the same as in the musical or did they change it up quite a bit? Though he, he um, doesn't have a father. Well, he doesn't have a... We don't see his father in the, in the musical... He is just merely uh, Usnavi's cousin. Uh, who, he's the kid. He's the kid. He's adorable. Yeah. He's the best actor in the whole thing. He's great. I, yeah, he's great. Mm-hmm. No, he's brilliant. I, I think in, this, in the musical as well, the money comes into it much more right, clearly. Right. So the, I guess to talk about the most heartbreaking moment of that film, for me, it's the Abuela song, Garlo, um, where she... It's like her final mm, death mm, song. Mm. In the show, that's not what it is. Uh, I like what they did in the movie, but in the show, she sings it during Act One, and the end of that song is her revealing to the audience that she's got the winning ticket. Yeah. And so the money kind of comes into it more, and Sunny Osnavi and um, Abuela sharing this money and what they're going to do with this money mm. is a lot of the, a lot of the discussion in the second is act. Is that why it's therefore sad in the show when she dies? In the show, she's not going to be part of it. In the show, you know the big carnival number where where they all yeah. dance in the yeah. street. Yeah. That is, um, the show takes place over three days. So Act One is one day, Act Two is the second day, and then there's a there's a sort of an epilogue. Well, uh, we know that from the movie because it says three days before blackout, <laughs> yeah. two days before blackout, which I appreciate because yeah. in the show that just happens. Yeah. Right, it just blacks out, and, and you've got to figure out what's going on. But um, 
they they sing that song. Uznavi comes in and says, we've won $96,000. Everyone's like, whoa. And that's how the whole big explosion ah, at the end happens. Right. Okay, okay. Whereas in the movie, he sort of just comes in and says, I'm leaving. And they're like, whoa, we kind of already knew that. Um, and at the end of that number, this big, vibrant, everybody's the whole audience is up. You come in with Kevin Rosario singing that over the over the radio that oh. well has just passed away oh, okay. and so um it happens off stage and it happens i like it better in the movie it works well yeah. in the movie i tell you what the movie you know she's going you know she's dying yeah, oh, yeah. and so hints. it's really beautiful and her looking out at the looking from her bed and smiling and her face is i mean it's glowing in an actually way obviously also in an actual it's being lit way and it's beautiful and you can you can you know that she's looking and going this is my familia and i love them and they're going to be okay and usnavi is going to be okay and there's this lovely peace and then of course she has i actually liked her number in the subway better than most of the songs in the whole show me too, I, me too. I, and i liked the filmicness of it i liked the old-fashioned uh, really, uh, depiction that that number and the um uh, the one at the end between nina and benny were my two favorite numbers i think more so than anything else nice i that, that number that she does as well it works in the film because you can have all of this uh abstract spiritual Absolutely. story and choice flashbacky stuff well the, the flashback happens in the show so she oh. kind of remembers and every, the whole cast comes on dressed well, we did anyway dressed in uh, older clothes oh, right, we're right, furiously right. getting changed at the back while she's singing the first half of the song <laughs> right um but the i guess the existential crisis right is, is a really wonderful layer that just i mean i was crying from the moment the song started because i knew what was going to happen yeah um yeah it's, it is impressive it's interesting you say about that number with nina and benny as well because the second act of the show has multiple ballads mm. nina the show this the act the second act opens with a ballad between the two of them and they spend the night together and they they sing a song about learning spanish or something and then she has a ballad after Abuela, which is the third ballad in the row yeah. following Abuela's death. Uh, and then they have that, that number from the movie. And I think they just cleaned that up <laughs> that and sounds... gave them... Because the, they already have two ballads earlier. They yeah. already have two duets, sorry. They have the Benny's Dispatch right at the start. They have the one in the playground and right. Tell Me About the Town. And then that's the third one. And I think mm. it works. Maybe now's works a good time to... And we'll, we'll come back to everything, guys. But let's segue into then the musicality of these musicals. Because I have some views. Go. Well, so I had no prior um, anything of In the Heights. I hadn't heard the, the show, um, apart from maybe a little bit of the trailer. That would be the extent mm. of In the Heights. And that's still, to this moment, the only bit of the whole, like, musics that I can remember. Is it's necessary for me. It's that and the, uh, the Iceman. <laughs> Piragua. Oh, yeah. Piragua. Piragua. I did, wouldn't have remembered that at all so it's no any else sing his own song oh yeah yeah okay we'll come to that <laughs> and he but, comes oh jimmy so after you told me about the in stinger which i didn't stay behind to see i uh watched it on youtube and it's really cute yes yeah, it's great so i went into in the heights knowing none of the music at all i had only seen maybe a smidgen of the trailer all the music uh, aspect of it mm, that I would have known would be in the heights and that's to this day actually the only bit that I can really remember from the whole thing so it's fine 
Um, and obviously there are some similarities with um, Lin-Manuel uh, Miranda's Hamilton. I do quite enjoy the da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da kind of almost yeah. uh, hip-hoppy rap aspects to it. You said I'm Big Pentameter when we were talking the other day. You I keep did. wanting to I say that. I call it I'm Big Pentameter, but it's not really, but it's that, that sort of patter or... Yeah. or yeah. Um, and that's great and that's fine and it's mildly innovative but for me the rest of the musicality of it was very ordinary and as you say ballads now I think that the singers sing beautifully and that's nice but none of the songs to me are particularly striking or memorable I'm not talking about Abuela and I'm not talking about the crowd scenes because actually give me the Carnevale and oh. definitely give me the nail bar scene and all that and I love a big ensemble kind of you know go hard but the, the, the lovers I'm talking about, and therefore don't really care. And because for me there wasn't any um, drama, around, not that I can remember anyway, I don't remember any conflict around the romantic relationships. There's a little bit of conflict. What was that? Uh, at, after the club where um, Vanessa's like, you left me at the club all alone and all the stuff. And Yeah, but then they yeah. go, oh, sorry about it. And she yeah, goes, yeah. oh, that's okay then. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like, no, I don't know. I don't know. There was there wasn't any big conflict. I'm not mm. suggesting I wanted it, but there wasn't any. So therefore, who cares? That everybody in here is going to be fine was my feeling. By comparison, and it's difficult to say because I've been listening to Fiddler since 1987. But those are songs, and those are numbers, and I don't love all of them equally. But but um, sunrise, sunset at the mm. wedding is exceptionally beautiful. I love Sabbath prayer, yeah. and I really do love. Um, I love the minor key, and I love um, the melodic and harmonic progressions of the the, the slightly Russian tinged, Jewish tinged. Um, minor key songs. I find all that really musically exciting and brilliant. Um, mm. And by comparison, for me, in the Heights, no. It's so interesting you said that about the crowd scene, Sarah, because I think I'm the exact opposite with you. Like, I really, really like the intimate moments. As I said, I think the highlight for me in, in the Heights was Nina and Benny's ballad with the visuals. That's Do you when, mean them running up the building? Yeah, sure. I think that's when the movie really came to life. And I... I think I, I actively disliked all the crowd scenes. Oh. I found them too packed, claustrophobic. Um, I was getting a little bit nauseous in places watching the, that stuff on it's the big screen. It's quite full on, yeah. Yeah, um, and I found it was just too, there was too much stimulus and in a way that wasn't very, oh, or maybe this is just me, but it felt in a way it wasn't, it wasn't staged in a way that made visual sense and became chaotic when it was supposed to be exciting, especially especially the scene in the nail salon. It was like, what the heck is going on? There's too much stuff. The mannequins are moving. Oh, now they're yeah, tapping yeah, on yeah. their nails. Um, and then also in the swimming pool scene and later on as well. I, I did not like that stuff, but when it just mm. focused on two people mm. and, for example, um, Benny and Nina or the whole champagne number where I, I don't think the song's very good, but the staging is very, very good. And I think it's all one take. Mm. And it just, okay, this is visually coherent and I am into this. Right. Yeah. Fair point. I mean, my experience with In the Heights is doing the show, as I mentioned, and I'd had nothing, I knew nothing about In the Heights. I didn't know who Lynn Mo or Miranda was. I don't even think I knew what Hamilton was when I did the show, and Hamilton had been out for 
a year or two years or something by that point, maybe mm. a year. It came out in 2016, didn't it? Mm-hmm, yes. And I did In the Heights in 2017. Um, and I I love the music in this show. I, I've listened to the album consistently since doing the show. When you do a show, you, you can get sick of the music because you've done it every night for however many weeks. But don't you think you also grow the familiarity makes you love it more? I guess so, but... One of the things that impressed me when I was doing In the Heights that is, that is beyond just familiarity is the harmonies and the rhythms and the, the intonation of the music. I don't even know if intonation is the right word, but just the way that it's put together is so different to other musicals that I've done. And I think it is that uh, sort of Latina um, yes. um, flair mm-hmm. with the hip-hop flair. Yeah. And I think those three threads coming together was quite an exciting musical to sing backup vocals yes, to because yes. that was the majority of what I did. I did harmonies. I had a few little solo lines, but um, I I was in, I was the male ensemble. Uh, I jokingly say I was I was um, <laughs> the the male ensemble number two in an ensemble of one because yes. when they released the cast list, it was male ensemble one to be confirmed, male ensemble two Jeremy Downing. And um, my friend Adam, who directed it, he said, oh, yeah, we had someone who was number one. He pulled out the last minute, and I thought was going to fill it, and they never did. And so I quite like the fact you're that so I was you're the, after you're the TV underst- yeah. yeah, you're yeah. the understudy for, <laughs> the, for the primary guy. Okay. So I have a great affinity to this music um, in a way that uh, I, I guess I feel like with many of the musicals that I've done, but because this one was so different to... Like, I love Mamma Mia as well, the ABBA, ABBA music. But the mm. ABBA music is almost like an algorithm of yes. of perfection. Yes. And uh, this was not that. We had no. to really get our heads out of traditional Western musical rhythms. Um, so I love it for that. And But I also mm. love the Fiddle on the Roof music. Yeah. All the things that you said. That's All good. the things you said, I agree with. The minor keys, the... It's just beautiful that music. Oh, that's interesting because you are newer to that than than William and yeah. William and I. So, um, yeah, interesting. Mm. I think the music in Fiddler is, is so interesting that it is at the same time very folk tuny yes. and also very very Jewish slash very very Russian, and also at the same time extremely Broadway. Like yes, you, you could listen to it and think this is probably a Broadway show, and yeah. you'd be correct. Yeah, um, and it treads that fine line, and I think the orchestrations in the movie version by John Williams are amazing. Yeah, did he he got nominated or did, did he win the Academy Award um, for the uh, rearranged score? Um, I'm not sure. I know that Fiddler won at least three Oscars, and it was nominated for about eight, mm-hmm. and it won. It did win for sound, and I thought it won for either soundtrack or score. I guess it must be score yeah. then, mustn't it? Because the score is amazing. Yes. Um, what on stage feels, you know, kind of very stagey and very production tuny, um, the movie just takes that and ups the bombast, makes it really cinematic in a yes. way that just opens everything up. An oral experience. And he, I mean, look, he's masterful, right? And he's been yeah. doing this for a trillion years now. And to think that Fiddler was 71, so it's pre the Star Wars, pre Star Wars and everything. Yeah. And yet, it's absolutely the sort of thing that he would go, okay, what is it that you need? Right, mm-hmm. all right, well, we're going to use a little bit of the old, I don't know, diminished fifth, and I'll make sure that I've got a little bit of this and a tierster piggity here and blah, blah. And to sort of take a style, um, and a, as you say, a folk music y style and mm-hmm. run with that. Yeah, he could totally and did. So it's yeah. pre it's pre Spielberg, isn't it? So it's because yeah. I mean, Jewel would have been. I don't even know if he did Jewel, but but Jewel was after or maybe the same year as um, 
Fiddler on the Roof. Interestingly, 1971 is really the end of the musical era in, in Hollywood. There's not much else beyond that. You have the old Grease or well, the Midnight Rocky I mean, Horror Picture Show. Norman Jewison followed this up with my favourite movie of all time, Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh, the God. worst musical adaptation ever. Oh, did he do that? He yeah. did. And it's, it's like, how do you go from... On, honestly, one of the greatest adaptations of a music a movie musical... I mean, what, second after Sound of Music, maybe? To Jesus Christ Superstar, which is just a disaster on multiple levels. But maybe it's a Lloyd Webber thing versus... Okay, so I'm interested in the fact that Fiddler on the Roof is essentially written and musicalized and directed by Jewish filmmakers, Jewish people, right? And the same with um, In, in the, the Heights, Heights um, is made made for the Latina commu- Latino community by the Latino community, for uh, you know, for argument's sake. Whereas Andrew Lloyd Webber, you know, and his, I guess, Christian, actually, even though technically Jesus was a Jew back in the day, but mm-hmm. you know what I mean? His Christian musical, I don't know. Maybe. But maybe there was Jewison trying to, you know, be American. Be oh, oh no, no, to try something new because Jesus Christ Superstar is a very experimental movie, right? Right. They filmed it in Israel. Everything was sung live. Um, I mean, you watch clips of this, and it's like it's a fever dream, but it's a terrible adaptation. Right. Right. I don't really like Jesus Christ Superstar as a musical, and I'm <gasps> not a huge fan of no. Angelo Weber generally. I like his music. <gasps> I like his music, but his... You take that back. So, uh, what, I mean, his show J- JCS is so good. This, has been going, this podcast has been going for five years too long. It's no. just so Wallows and Judas's thing. And, or but Judas, so, is, he has such cool numbers. Uh, the music's cool. I will not deny that the music... Angelo Weber's music is brilliant. Mm. But my gosh, his stories are so boring. Yeah. The pacing is terrible. Uh, I mean, that show, it, it has this the random Potiphar scene. No, not a Potiphar. No, not Potiphar. That's, um, that's, that's Joseph. Joseph. Yeah. Um, who's, who's the guy in the, the beachy number? Um, oh, Herod. Herod. Yeah. Herod. the Christ. Yeah. And I had no idea who he was Christ. when I saw it because I didn't get it. Um, and then it just ends with him dying. Uh, and <laughs> Did they add that into the movie version of Jesus Christ Superstar? Oh, yeah. Herod's definitely there. He's in no, front no, of no. Did they add it in? Or oh, no. It? That, that was always there. That was, it was there in the original like, uh, test album as well. Because, pop, um, not pop quiz, but another bit of trivia, in Fiddler on the Roof, in the stage show, my, one of my favourite numbers is The Rumour. Yeah. And they didn't do it in the movie. The, the Rumour is on the movie soundtrack, though, so they recorded a version of it. But oh, it what? And they in... thought, oh, it's three hours, it's getting a bit <laughs> it's long, nice. we'll too, cut it out. It's too goofy. It's, well, uh, let's think about goofy. So I just wanted to acknowledge that both of the films that we're talking uh, about today have something of a dream sequence, right? And in one of them, Abuela is on the cusp of passing away. Mm. And in the other, Tevya has actually lied about the whole thing, but he conjures up this wonderful dream sequence in order to convince his wife, Golda, that uh, their daughter should not actually go through with her betrothal to um, Laser Wolf. Wolf. The coolest name in musical history. <laughs> yes. And, um, and so I love Tevya's dream as a number, and partly because it was such fun to be in, in the, in the um, behind the gravestones of my high school on the stage. Um, uh, but what a, what a strange, it's very strange musically. Fruma Sarah's number um, that she sings, she's the, the wife uh, who's all like, oh, don't you marry my husband. The, melodically, it goes in very strange and difficult to sing places. But mm. it's also like 
my husband hadn't seen Fiddler on the Roof, and he's like, wait, so suddenly this has gone a bit thriller. Why, why yeah. are there zombies in this? And I'm like, just just go with it. It's all good. <laughs> it feels very Gilbert and Sullivan that that whole number does. Very weird. Yeah. It's like something out of Ruttergore. Yeah, right. <laughs> And so that's strange, and yet I and yet it gets away with it, as far as I'm concerned. I loved it, and cinematically, it's really well put together. Mm. Yeah, it's great. Like those open shots, the very Tim Burton esque kind yes. of yeah, the, the mist coming in. Yeah, I remember on stage, uh, former Sarah was on this giant hydraulic lift, and wow. she was just swaying around over the audience, and was pretty cool. Wow, that's awesome! Yeah. And do you, and of course, it enables Topol to be. He's so good with his little comic face <laughs> and his comic timing, and I mean, you it, know, his little comic wheel like oh. oh brilliant and also just the look that he gives to god you know how he's always looking up yeah. his top right yeah. as if to say ha ha there's or, a few random shots there's a few random shots in Fiddler that end with going up to the sky have you noticed that yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, okay that was he's a choice talking to god a lot but also his face will go what are we doing here or are you getting this and that sort of thing which is mm. terribly funny do you think that those are to the audience in the stage show no he does it to God. He's got to be talking to God. Yeah. Yeah. Just because one of the things in, in the Heights, which is interesting, is that they have to bring in a oh, what's the what's the word uh, like a gimmick or a conceit or a or a, a device. Device is probably fair because otherwise, right. with him telling the story to the children. Mm. So the children aren't in the show. No, I mean the show takes place in real time over three days, mm. and he's talking to the audience for a lot of that stuff. Right. You know, he's narrating it to the audience. And Uznavi is the narrator in the show. It is Nina's story, very much. Very Wait, what? Much so. Uznavi is not the narrator in the He's show. He's the narrator. Oh. It's, it's, it's Nina's story. She's the core of the show. So it's a man telling a story for a woman. Well, it's a man telling a story of a community, and she's the centre of it. Yeah. Okay. Because um, she so doesn't even get a real ending, Doesn't right? get to tell her own story. No, never mind. Well, well okay. she, um, because, like, they have the thing about how Nina's stubborn, she gets on the train, and she doesn't get to participate in the final number. Yeah, because in the show, it um, it is they they the end of the show is is them selling the Rosario's business oh, and taking it down, and she's okay. with them. Okay, uh, and as Navi kind of wraps it together, and it's and it's a painting of a weller on the the grate coming down that motivates as Navi to stay. Oh. Vanessa doesn't have as much of a character in the show as well. She's not a well. She, she does have much of a character in the movie. Well, she's, she's not a fashion designer. She right. oh. just is trying to get out of the. Community. Oh, okay. so they don't even give her that much. Exactly. She's felt, got her song, but I felt she, out of all the main characters, was just really poorly characterized. Um, and I guess that's just from the show as well. Yeah, she doesn't have much of a character. But I think it's interesting that they introduce this construct with the children. I do think it works. Uh, and I, I was sitting there going, and of course the movie opens with the crashing waves yes. and in the mm. theatre. That was quite affecting. It was this booming, crashing waves. Uh, and, and if you're me and you've not seen the show, you believe you are seeing yeah. him on an eye, or presumably or, or, in the Dominican Republic. The, the longer the movie went, it was like, oh, okay, I kind of see where this is Right. Going. I've seen the show and I thought he was on the island. And I was thinking, oh, I, 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 know, that he, I know that he decides to stay. So what are they doing here? Oh, right. Yeah. But it was quite lovely, the little CGI green crab that yeah. turns out to be on the wall. Yes. Um, it was. I talked to our colleague, um, one of our colleagues at work, who is uh, New Zealand-born Samoan, and she was talking about that part of the story really connecting with her journey and particularly um, uh, particularly the other scene as well where Nina says to her dad, I'm going to bring you along for the journey. Mm. Mm. You know, we're in this new place, we're going to find home together. And for her, that was really relevant from her perspective. Um, but I, So I really liked, I really liked how they did that and it made sense to me because you can't, I don't know if, 
it was Navi talking to the camera the whole time, which she does a little bit of, yeah. would sell the same way. No, as I, um, I liked what they did. I assume I wouldn't have it wouldn't have sold it to me as the same way. So good on them. Yeah. Tibia does, of course. Yes. <laughs> he talks Tibia's to the camera the whole time. Yes, and it is very stagey, and it is yeah. exactly like it's done in the stage show as well. So it's. But, but then again, it's stagey and it's not, right? Because mm. it's, it's shot in a way as in to, to make it as hyper-real as That's possible. True. Everything is grungy. Everything is lived in. Um, the whole Anna Tefka number at the very end is, you know, it's is that real snow? That's probably real snow, right? Yeah, probably. Yeah, um, it, like it feels cold and it feels remote. And I, I think that adds a lot to the story. Um, but yeah, at the same time, also quite stagey. Yeah, and yet it works. It, yes, it, yes yeah. but yeah, but it works. It feels more like I'm suddenly thinking of Evita, which of course we talked about many episodes mm-hmm. ago. I do like that, uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber. I think that's yeah. a good, that's got a good story. And that was beautiful. I thought that was yeah. beautifully oh gosh, yeah. created for a film it's as cinematic. well as absolutely. And um, and you're and you are in those locations and um, as you are in In the Heights. But yeah. because I think one of the one of the great things about Fiddler the uh, the movie adaptation is that. Even though the music is not diegetic, or some of it's not, it always feels diegetic, right? They don't kind of break this this illusion to start singing. Like in Sound of Music, perhaps, which is more of a, and now we're going to sing a song. Yeah, I would say so. Like, kind of in contrast with something like Sound of Music, where, um, you know, there's a, a complete break between the narrative stuff and the musical stuff. In Fiddler, both in the show and in the movie, the sense that the music is part of the world, I think, is really, really important for the overall feeling of the whole piece. Would you feel that that's a, a comparison with In the I, Heights? I think so as well. Although, I, I don't know, something about In the Heights, maybe it's just the sound mix, but I started off the movie, and maybe this is nitpicking, I, I felt like some of the sound mixing of the voices was odd, and I read later that, that they had various different types of sound mixing, right? Sometimes voices were recorded live, sometimes it was post um, but something didn't quite sit right in the reality of the thing. And it was only later on where I think around the time of the blackout, it's like, okay, this, this is, this is kind of the reality. And I, I, my brain understands that now. Mm. I mean, if it, I mean, I'm just thinking about Fiddler is that it's so clearly overdubbed a lot of yeah. Tevye's life. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's fine. It's the, it's the time of the spaghetti Westerns. Mm. I'm really keen to talk about John Chu, um, Oh, what's, what's the director's name? John Chu. Uh, John Chu. His direction of In the Heights, because there's some interesting flares. And I hear you, William, in terms of the quite quick cuts, particularly 96,000 and what's going on there. And of course, to link back to uh, Motz's verse, what was it? Machines? M- Mitchell's verse. Mitchell's machines. verse, Machines, and some of the animated flares in that film. And you've got those, oh, that's those right. animated pieces oh, in 96,000. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So there's some very, and also the, the whole graphics of the train feels very crazy. And, and when they're dancing in the street in, in the Heights, there are some bits out there. Yeah, I don't know yeah, how I feel cool. about I, that. I, I you liked like it. it? I liked it. I didn't like the huge pieces of material flying down like it was some iPhone air. Oh, yeah. Did not like, like that. Yeah, the, but but um, the but the little and the little Mitchell's interstitial stuff. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. I forgot about that. I, I think I think that was out of place. I really like the crash explosion over the over the screen and the heights title coming up and i knew it was i realized that near the end of the in the heights number i was like oh the title hasn't come up and it's it's, it's coming i know they're gonna do it and then it was like in the heights i was like right. yes um it reminds me of of uh, the opening of a star is born which was not as it wasn't like a crash but if you remember gaga's walking down the alleyway singing 
Summer of the Rainbow and the the Star is Born comes up and both graphically very 70s I would yes. guess very retro feeling it reminds me of the beginning of Drive in that way I don't know if Ooh, you remember yeah. that but yeah there's this terrific sort of heist scene and then Drive mm. in beautiful hot pink fluoro yeah. across the screen again in a, in a retro sort of font well, in the heights that kind of title crash also remind me of La La Land how mm. first number ends Bam! In your face. It's. I think it's something we've lost. Uh, it's coming back, obviously, but I think about James Cameron's films of the 80s. He did a lot of that. Or, um, you know, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. Mm. With, you know, the, the title having a character of its own. Yeah. Or if you think of Terminator and the Sometimes there are films words. now and they don't do a title at all. Yeah. And you get nine minutes in and you're like, I guess we're Ooh. not getting one. What's the title? What's the title? And, that was, and then the whole thing happens and I you mean, don't get the cast list till the end. We may talk about this in the future, wink, wink. But Fast and Furious 9, I was waiting for that title drop. There was yeah. a moment where it was like, okay, here we go. Here we go. And then two hours later, they shoot the title <laughs> at the very end of the yeah. credits. Yeah. Do you know, um, I think Star Wars was a film that really changed the game for that, that uh, George Lucas had to fight to not have a title sequence yeah. and not have to have all the credits at the start oh. of the film. It was quite a big deal. Wow. And it was quite a big deal legally, like for unions and things like that. Mm. Um, but I, I love a good title sequence. Yeah. Mm. I like a choice that makes sense, so I'm not just going to want a title sequence for the sake of it. But there's, there's something about yeah, seeing, seeing the vibe of the movie through text and mm. design that's quite thrilling. That website, Art of the Title, it's so good. Yeah, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, stuff like you know when we do get good title sequences. I mean, uh, things that jump to mind like Scott Pilgrim did a fantastic mm -hmm. title sequence. Stuff like that makes movies feel new again. Yeah, uh, which is weird because that's what we moved away from for the longest time. And maybe feel like an event as well, like yeah. the Bond movies, the classics, ah, Saul yes, and yes. Elaine Bass openings for Pink Panther and mm -hmm. all those sorts of things. You know, then. Um, that was the good old days. Yeah. Tarantino loves a good title sequence, doesn't he? Does. He does. He likes a retro font as well. Yeah. Doesn't he, hey? <laughs> He's got that one font that he used for most of his movies for a while. Cool. Well, final thoughts. Uh, William, do you want to start us off? Yeah, sure. It was really cool comparing these two musicals. And I'm, I'm glad I've seen In Heights now because I know I don't get to see your show, Jeremy, when we were there. Um, and having really loved Hamilton, going back to see, okay, so this is kind of where a lot of the the components of Hamilton came from. Um, obviously, like you, Sarah, Fiddler is part of my DNA. Like, I listened through it throughout childhood, um, and it's an amazing film. But, yeah, just really, really cool to compare these two films specifically. Mm. Excellent. I love uh, Fiddler on the Roof, and surprisingly so. I had heard about it growing up. I remember one of my uncles saying, it's the, one of the greatest movies of all time. And I was like, okay, uncle. Uh, and just really enjoyed re-watching it again and experiencing the music and the visuals and the sense of humor. It's mm -hmm. a, I think it's a very funny piece. Uh, In the Heights was something that I was incredibly excited about seeing. I was very satisfied with, with the movie. I would like to see it again. I haven't had a chance to yet. Uh, and I thought they did a really good job of making the film of it, which within that I'm including the changes because I think they did need to re-change, reshuffle that, that story and that film. And they had to cull some numbers to actually craft a three-act structure out of it. And I thought they did a really good job. I thought the casting as well was quite impressive considering there were no real names in there apart from Anthony Ramos and Jimmy Lynn Smith and Jimmy Schmitz, yes. <laughs> but he's and, and Stephanie Beatrix Who? from uh, from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. She's one of the yes. saloon ladies. Mm. She is yeah. too. She is too. But yeah, I thought they did a really uh, wonderful job and 
I, I cried through most of it for various reasons. Probably the same reasons I cried through the last Harry Potter book, which was I was just so connected to this this text that anything that I felt was satisfying, funny, or connected with me, I just started crying did out of emotion. Did it meet your expectations? Yeah, it did. Mm. Yeah, I, I had a great time. Sarah, final words. Um, well, uh, Fiddler, we know what I think. Um, and I shall maybe make it a tradition to watch it uh, <laughs> more, more regularly than every 20 years. Um, I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it this time, despite loving the music. I just thought, oh, it's still going to feel dated and slow and three hours, what? And it's going to be sad at the end, like um, Sound of Music, what? But, you know, all good. Um, In the Heights um, was thoroughly enjoyable. I didn't emotionally connect to it. And, And something that we haven't really been able to discuss, but I think also partly because we're not in the same position as many of our friends for whom uh, the immigrant story was desperately resonant and meaningful and affecting and I and it would be wonderful to explore that a bit more and that is not my tale and so I think that I missed out a little bit there um, uh, I thought it was vibrant and fun and cool and overwhelming uh, and musically there were bits that were terrific and then there were bits that were fine um, and I'm not in a rush to see it again um, but I am heartened, Jeremy, by everything that you've told me about the changes that they made from the show. It seems to me the show isn't something I'm going to be racing to go and want to watch. Um, but that I like what they did with the film very much. Cool. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of Cinema in Context. If you enjoyed our podcast, then please share it with your film-loving friends. You can listen to Cinema in Context through SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public, Amazon Music, and Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Facebook. Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, which are great places to let us know what you think of this episode, or give us suggestions for future films to discuss and compare. Look out for our next episode in a month's time, and until then, Nora Mai!